Ah, there we go. Page one. Found it. That's with the, the notes and stuff. Hope those are in order. Uh, good morning. Again. Um, we're coming to a really fun section of scripture. Um, because it's, it's really impossible for any of this to not become personal. Uh, because it's about the body of Christ of which you are a member. Um, there's, there's a lot of times, and in fact, this, this passage included, you've heard me saying like, the point isn't for you to find yourself in the text. Okay. You don't read the Bible to find you. You read the Bible to find Jesus, right? And he's much better looking than you and nicer to find. Okay. It's better to find Christ in the scripture. Um, but there is a sense in which we're talking about members of the body, loving one another, walking in love, serving one another, being anointed by the Spirit to serve one another, each with their individual gifts. It's hard not to look at this and be like, hey, that's us. But so, so I've been telling you, and I'll tell you again today, like the point is not to find yourself in the group picture and be like, that's me. This verse is about me. Say it's about us. Okay, just zoom out a little bit and say like, this is the church and that's us. We're the church. So this is exciting. Um, we're going to start in verse 12 here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, read through the end of the chapter, and what we're going to see is Paul describing the church and how we work together as a body. And this this metaphor of the church being the body of Christ, this was something that showed up real early in the church. The Corinthians would have been familiar with it. Everyone that's been going to church anywhere since the time of the, the writing of this letter has been familiar with it, where we're the body, which is made up of many members, but it's we're in the body, but it's not our body. It's Christ's body of which we are a part. So with that in mind, let's start in verse 12, where Paul writes, For as the body is one, and as many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. But in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is therefore is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleases. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and members individually. And God has appointed... These in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? 
Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way, dot, 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 to be continued. Chapter 13, next week, be there. Okay, uh, this is a longer section than we, you know, usually study through, but you can see why we're, we got to take it as one chunk here. This is coming in after Paul had listed some of the spiritual gifts in verses 8 through 11. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you missed it. He never really has one comprehensive list where all the spiritual gifts show up in one place. You know, Romans chapter 12 has some, and 1 Corinthians 12 has some. Some are repeated, some are unique to each passage. Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12 has some listed at the beginning of the chapter and some more here at the end of the chapter. He never defines a single gift. He gets close with prophecy in chapter 14, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. So, you know, he doesn't do what I did last week and try to go through one at a time and explain each one. So we know that Paul's point in talking about the spiritual gifts is not to give instruction on specific gifts, but rather explain the overarching principle of serving one another in Christ's body and how we all need one another and are needed by one another. That's the big point in this chapter. In verses 12 through 14, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of something that he's kind of been getting at since chapter 1 when he addressed the ungodly divisions in the church. He reminded them that they are one body. He had rebuked them for their sectarianism when they said, oh, I'm of Paul, and we sit over here in this section. And I'm of Apollos, and we meet at home over there. And some of the really super spiritual ones are like, well, I'm of Christ. I'm above all that. You know, and he's like, no, you don't get to say any of that. You're just the church. It's just one body. And so he's been talking about this since the beginning of the letter. It is the true and real unity of the body of Christ that Paul is talking about now. In verse 12, we'll read it again. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Christ is one. There is one body of Christ. There is not the Jewish church and then the Greek church or the rich church and the poor church. There is one church. Christ is one. Earlier in the book, we saw the Corinthians were divided based on a number of things. We mentioned the personalities, right? Paul, Peter, Apollos. Um, All of the early church, not just in Corinth, but every early church congregation had to figure out how to be one body with Jews and Gentiles that weren't used to doing things together. So division based on race and culture were always prominent. There was the divisions of class. You had slaves and their masters in the same church, suddenly on equal footing, eating the same bread, drinking from the same cup. They had to figure these things out. And Paul says, this is how you figure it out. You're one body. Those divisions that you thought mattered outside the church don't matter anymore. It's easy to see how churches could become divided based on class or race. And now Paul is addressing divisions based on giftings. Corinth, I mentioned before, is an equal opportunity divisor, uh, divider. Uh, they, uh, they could just split up over anything and everything, and, and they're, they're dividing the body of Christ based on giftings, callings, ministry styles, things like that. And this showed up in different ways. There were people who were isolating themselves from the church because they didn't see how their gifting fit into the body. This is verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Does that make any sense? No, it does not. Withdrawing yourself from fellowship, from church, 
This is as much a kind of division as gossip or fighting in the church or anything like that. It's still division because you, as a member of the body, who God has placed according to his will in the body of Christ, have now amputated yourself from that body. But the other way, maybe the more prominent way the church was being divided, was that some who thought that their giftings were superior and their place in the body was so important and impressive and necessary were telling people with different giftings, we really don't need you, actually. This is verse 21, right? It says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It seems there were some eyes in the church in Corinth that were telling the hands that they were unneeded. Maybe not with so much words, but you can definitely give the impression. It's like, oh, okay, like we're going to do the church because we've got like this gifting thing going on, the whole prophecy and tongues thing, and that's not really... So you can just kind of like, you can watch. Thanks for coming. You know, like that, that was... You're unneeded. They were wrong by presenting this idea. And this kind of thinking in the church was doing the church harm. And then Paul goes on to show that we do need each other. Individuals in the church are different from one another, just like the eye is different from the hand, but both are necessary and they serve each other and each is a part of the body. There is unity in diversity. And if you'll remember the beginning of the chapter, Paul is basing this theology of the body on the Trinity itself. In verses 4 through 6, he says There's a, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities or differences of ministries, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. You have spirit, Lord, and God presented. This is the basis for the same but different we find in our churches. We, as many Christians in one church, are being shaped into the image of God, who is Trinity. Let's go back and read 15 through 19, just to really get the imagery here of the body again. Uh, and I'll offer some comments as we go. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Answer, no. This was an easy one, okay? Everyone passes the quiz. I'm just going to give you the answer. The answer is, the, the foot is a part of the body, no matter what the foot thinks. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Same thing. That's not the way it works. doesn't matter what the ear thinks. It is part of the body and is needed, no matter how quiet the ear is. Well, I'm not a mouth. I don't talk. I'm not. That's not how it works. He says, if the whole body were an eye, creepy, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each of them. And verse 18 is key here. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? This, this is comical, right? This, this satire, this uh, exaggerated look at body parts talking to each other uh, really does make Paul's point, well, if we are the body of Christ, which was already an established truth in the church, they would have been familiar with this imagery. If we are the body of Christ, which we are, if we are the body of Christ, then we can't all be the same body part, right? That makes sense. If the whole body were an eye, okay, that's just the stuff of like toddler drawings and nightmares, right? <laughs> like, uh, it, but it doesn't make good for good anatomy. Uh, it doesn't make for a good church if everyone is the eye. If everyone is doing the same ministry, it's like, that's great, but also pointless. No, it's not great. You can't all be doing the same thing. We serve each other so that each other, the others, can serve in ways that we can't. In verse 20 through 26, we'll look at what 
many will see as the greatest problem, and it's this sort of cliquish bullying that keeps out the people that are different or gifted in another way that's serious. But let's not jump over this other, more quiet problem of an individual, the foot in this case, saying, I am not of the body, because they see another member of the body functioning in ways that foot without opposable thumbs just can't seem to manage. This is the individual lying to themselves, or having been lied to, having believed it, telling themselves that they don't belong because they're not like the other people in a church. They're not gifted like the other people in that church. And so they say, I'm not really like them. Okay, now the, the church body as a whole has a responsibility to care for each member. And we have a responsibility to let this disoriented body part realize that, yeah, it, you have a place in, in church with, with everyone else. But there is still an error that needs to be corrected in the thinking of that foot. You don't get to say whether or not you belong in a body that you didn't place yourself in. Verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You don't get to talk back to that. Okay, you, you don't get to say, I don't belong here. You don't get to say that you don't belong to the body of Christ. And the line of thinking that Paul is talking about, that this one disoriented member is, is thinking, it's illogical. Oh, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Well, you've got a weird understanding of what bodies look like and how they work. The church doesn't need multiples of the same person. The church needs individuals with individual giftings and an individual relationship with Jesus Christ where they're listening to his voice and doing as he says. Theoretically, the only time a person should be able to be in a church and say, I don't belong here, is when everyone is just like them. And that's not likely to happen. The important part, though, is not the subjective observations of one Christian member or another, or the tastes and whims and giftings of one Christian or another. The important part is, verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. God builds churches. They're full of problems, absolutely. Corinth is a witness to that, right? We picked one of the messiest churches to, to study in 1 Corinthians. There's divisions and personality conflicts and mistakes, but it is God who builds the church. And he does so by placing each member where he wants each member. If you are a Christian, then you are a member of his body, the capital C church, okay? Which means you belong to his body. You are a member of the church, and God has not given you the authority to say, no, -uh. no, I'm not. No, because I went to church and the people there were weird. Well, of course they were. <laughs> the weirdest, okay? But you don't get a say that you're not. You don't get a say that it's like, well, they're all, they're all, they're different. I, I just don't really fit. It's like, it's not your job to find out where you fit. God places each member where he, just as he pleases. When you're not coming to church and investing in the relationships at church and serving people who are in the church, you're depriving the church of a necessary part of its body. You. You are a necessary part of the body. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. You're not essential. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But you are necessary. They're not the same thing. You, by amputating yourself, as we read in verse 26, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers, 
And the person who is tempted to say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is probably the kind of person who looks at their church and thinks, well, I don't really do much around here. I mean, I don't feel like anything important happens because of me. I'm not the linchpin here. I, I don't feel like if I stopped attending, no one will really notice. And you know what? Maybe they won't because people are terrible, okay? Maybe they won't. That's true. We're not always good at noticing things. And if you skip next week, the church will still exist because it's not dependent on any member of the body. Turns out nothing really is dependent on any of us. God just keeps things going with or without us. But the truth is, whether or not it is immediately observable, the church suffers when its members are not present and active and functioning well. And we must fall back on this truth and take it in faith that it is God who has placed the members where he wants. And it's important to follow Paul's analogy all the way. It's the body of Christ that you're a part of, which means it is the body of Christ that suffers in the pain of amputation and disease and injury. It is truly Christ who feels that pain more than any individual member of his body. In thinking, I don't belong here. Nothing would change if I just drifted away. Well, this is Christ's body you're talking about. He is the head. He gets the authority to say whether or not you belong. And it is his heart that is grieved by autonomous members thinking that they can even survive apart from the rest of his body. Now, people have a bad track record deciding which body parts belong, uh, just the human race. I mean, recent history will show you a time when the medical community was sure that your appendix was totally optional, right? Uh, tonsils, yeah, they do something, but we should probably get rid of them so they don't cause problems, right? Uh, medical science, weird. Um, I learned this this week. In 2017, uh, found a new organ. Scientists found a new organ. That's nice. They didn't know it existed. It's called the mesentery, part of your intestines. Uh, then in 2018, another new organ was discovered. I think it's still in the application process of being recognized. I don't know what that looks like. But 2020, they found another one. They just keep finding them. Like, who was hiding these? I don't... It's, but yeah, 2020, there's one in the back of your throat. It helps produce saliva, I guess. It's an organ unto itself. As people, we've been living in these bodies since the beginning, and we're still figuring out what's what. And what's even, like, inside. In the church, it's not always going to be clear about which person is what body part, and that's okay. And of course, we're flexible, and we just according to season and need, and we're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who gives as he wills. Don't worry too much if you're not labeled as a specific organ. The point of all of this, once more, is not to discover who you are. It's to give you the eyes to see that each one here is part of the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. When organs or, or limbs are not functioning correctly, it is his body that suffers, and we suffer together with him. It, it, it is the other members of the body that suffer with that one stubbed toe. When one member is hurting or absent, the body feels it. Whether we can cognitively recognize what this lack is or not, that's another thing. But we know when the church is suffering, we can't quite put our finger on why sometimes. Maybe Maybe when the church is faltering or struggling, I often wonder if the reason is not because of a handful of people that, you know, are causing problems or something. Usually that's not recognizable. I wonder if the reason for struggle, seasons of struggle in a church, is not because there are some people that should be there and just aren't. Now, of course, it's extremely easy to find fault if you look for it, no matter the organization or person. So you have to be careful and gracious. 
If you want to look at the problems in a church, you'll find them. It won't even take you that long. There's plenty of reasons for this. We're sinners. We exist in a battle with sin, the world, the devil. But in following Paul's body analogy here, I believe we can conclude that one reason for sickness in a church is simply that there are people who are called to be a part of it and are instead staying away from it. Because if your foot one day says, I'm not part of the body, that's the start of a really weird disease. And your body notices. First step out of bed would notice that. Now, verse 7, and back in verse 7, we saw that there are gifts given to each for all, right? The Holy Spirit is in your life for the purpose of blessing people in your church. If you do not bless them, they may be lacking a blessing that the Holy Spirit intends to give them through you. Look in verse 20. It says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The end of verse 25 there is another key passage here. It says, that why is there such diversity? Why are we so different? He says, it's that the members should have the same care for one another. We honor each other. We serve differently. We walk as members of this one body in different ways. And we have the same care for one another, whether or not your gifting is this or that. Now, this whole passage here outlines one of the more maybe offensive problems. Members of the body saying, you are not of us. Um, by If there were, in verse 21, the eye saying to the hand, I have no need of you. Ooh, if someone, if a member of the body of Christ says to another member of that body, well, we don't, we don't need you. We don't need you and your things. That's a little different. That's saying, you're not one of us. I have no need of you. That's, a, that's an autoimmune disease is what it is. The body attacking itself, not recognizing a part of it as a true member of the body. Now in Corinth, we know there were these people that considered themselves ministry elites. They were people that did all the spiritual stuff, and they spoke eloquently when they were preaching, and they spoke in tongues when they weren't preaching. And the people who always had a revelation from God, and Paul's going to address these people directly in chapter 14. But the tendency in these types of people would be to see the quiet Christians who didn't do any of these things as kind of second class, like, eh, they've still got the training wheels on, you know. They were basically saying, what, what need would the church have for a person who isn't like me? Unless it is, of course, for people to watch me and tell me how great I am when I do cool stuff. Like, that's, that's the ministry elite, you know, preacher who loves to hear himself preach. Paul says that the greater honor is not given to the one that everyone sees. Greater honor in the body of Christ is given to the less presentable. Now, he's not talking about those who look best at church or something like that. He's not talking about the weaker brother who he talks about elsewhere, you know, like the one who has a weak conscience. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those members of the body which seem to be weaker in the eyes of the Corinthians, meaning the ministries that would seem to be weaker, less impressive, you know, the quieter gifts, the less showy, impressive public giftings, the ones where kindness trumps eloquence where the gift can be exercised in silence with no one looking. Paul says there's things that we don't put on a stage and shine a light on 
and we're, by, we're honoring them. We're honoring these, these members and these giftings by not confusing the two, by admitting there's diversities and gifts and these acts of service, these charitable gifts, uh, charitable actions are done in different ways. When Peter talks about spiritual gifts, he doesn't go through the specifics, the names of them like Paul. He just mentions two categories. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. They're speaking and they're serving. That's what ministering is. There are speaking gifts and there are silent gifts. Perhaps some of the giftings that seemed to be weaker to the Corinthians who liked to talk a lot loudly in various languages, maybe it was these silent gifts that they were belittling. Perhaps some of the giftings that seemed to be weaker to the Corinthians were these ministering gifts. This seems likely based on what we know of Corinth and based on what we know of people. The ministry that everyone sees is going to be the one people pay attention to and a mistake for one of the most important. The ministry that uh, people can witness and, and see is going to be seen as a strong gift. The gift that no one sees, at best it's ignored, at worst it's disdained. I have no need of you. We don't need your, your gift here. Now Paul uses this picture of modesty I think it's a little tongue-in-cheek here. Uh, he uses the picture of modesty to give the correct idea of how we respect different body parts. Think of your clothes and what they cover up. I think you would all agree that just because something is covered up, unseen, that doesn't mean you want it removed. We on the same page here? We getting uh, where Paul's going with this? Okay. Uh, that's not how it works, right? You cover it up because there is an innate sense of decency. Now, and Paul says that's an honor that you do to your body. So there are some ministries that are visible. Most are not. To carry out the body metaphor further, a fully dressed person is mostly covered. Most body parts are invisible. A mostly undressed person is embarrassing. But if you think about it, most of them still covered with skin. Praise the Lord for skin, right? Most of your body is unseen. Most ministries, just like the organs of your body, are invisible by design. The greater part of visible ministries, most of the, th the, the effort, I guess, that goes into those, that's also invisible, and it's supposed to be. The preparation for a public ministry is silent, unseen, invisible, and that's great. Now, I say by design because I know that the response by by some, when reading something like this, that there are ministries that are out there, that are out of the spotlight. Well, you have people, well-meaning but misguided, that would say, well, then put a spotlight on them. They deserve recognition. The 90% of you who serve the Lord quietly and faithfully just got heartburn, right? Am I right? Just, you're like, please don't, please don't. Don't make me get up there. Um, you know, oh, you pray for your, the children in our church every day? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna honor you for that. We're gonna come to your house and watch you when you do it. That's going to be great because um, we want to honor you and it's going to be on the internet. It's going to be fun. We're going to clap when you're done. We're going to clap when you're, okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got, oh, you've got a ministry to your neighbor who needs a little help out. I heard you helped out. We need to honor that. We're going to film that, put it on YouTube. You giving them some money and stuff. And since we're at it, someone's got to put it up on YouTube. And that's a ministry. 
We should make that public. So let's be sure to have a YouTube channel about the putting videos up on our YouTube channel. Servants don't want to be watched. Performers want to be watched. And we don't want any of them. Okay? Servants don't want to be watched. If they do, they're not a servant anymore. This is supposed to be a body, not a circus. Some of the examples may seem far-fetched, but they're really not. There are plenty of silent ministries that get muddied up by publicity, and you can taste the difference. Here's one you may recognize. Giving, financial giving. That is a gift. Romans 12, 8 says that financial giving is a gift of the Spirit. There are churches that do fundraising campaigns that will put your name on a little plaque in the hallway. That's undressing the body. You are uncovering something that to honor it rightly, you keep it covered. Paul says that we give greater honor to these unpresentable members. We give honor to the silent ministries. How? Well, one bit way is by simply serving each member the same, right? And not valuing the public gifts above the private gifts or anything. That was back in 25, verse 25, right? Just serve everyone the same. That's fine. Not rejecting anyone because their gifts are different than yours or less impressive. But the other way we honor these types of ministries is by keeping them covered. I know that sounds upside down and backwards to some of you, but Jesus backs me up here, okay? Romans chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter six, verse one. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. A charitable deed. Hey, that sounds like a loving act of service, right? The very kind of thing Paul is talking about with spiritual gifts. If you do them to be seen, you have no reward from God. That's serious. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. We don't do this, this anymore, but it's okay because we have Facebook and you can put up every good deed you've ever done on there for people to see. But we, when we do talk about how we served others, and really you don't have to. I'm just telling you, you don't have to. Keep your good deeds secret. Don't talk about the good things you do. Don't talk about who you give to or how much or how much you sacrifice to help the needy person. Verse 3 of Matthew 6, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's difficult. That's hard to do. Which shows how extreme you should, how the extreme steps that you should take in order to keep your act of service silent. People don't need to know about your act of service. God knows. And as you do them, we will all know when the church is healthy. We'll all know when we have a healthy functioning body. Because each person will be doing their thing without a need for recognition or putting their gift above someone else's or anything like that. Now, Paul says that the church honors the quiet, non-public giftings and those who have them. To follow this line of thinking, we don't make every act of ministry public. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Now, in verse 24, he says, But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Once again, God put the members where he wanted them. He did so knowing that there would be diversity. That's the point. He likes it. But this diversity and the different means of honor, how some ministries are public, others are private, and all are needed, this is actually God's plan for unity. He composed the body with differing levels of visibility so that there should be no schism and so that the members should have the same care for one another. Having the same care for one another, this is you treating 
every member of Christ's body with the same love, care, and friendship, no matter what their apparent gifting is, which is the problem that was going on in Corinth. No matter what part of the body they are, whether their ministry is public or completely unknown, doesn't matter. You see them as a member of God's body and give them the honor and care that he deserves. If the whole body was an eye, remember that, Sauron? I'm getting a lot of mileage out of that one. Then there's, there's competition for who can be the best eye. Your body parts should not be competing against each other. They serve one another. You have an itch on your ear. You know what doesn't scratch your ear? Your ear. Okay, picture that. The diversity of members is what ensures the body's proper function. The healthy body looks like a united whole. Suffering as one, rejoicing as one, being honored as one, but serving different functions. Now in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Uh, We looked at many of these last week. We're going to look at some more of them once we get to chapter 14, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with this section. Uh, This follows the same order, though, that Paul gives in Ephesians 4. First apostles, then prophets. And then he adds evangelists in that list in Ephesians. And finally, pastor teachers, which is slightly different from teachers mentioned here. He also says that the church was built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. These are the first on the ground doing the pioneer missionary work. And then evangelists and then teachers or pastor teachers build on that foundation. And from there, the other gifts find their place. In Ephesians, it says God gave some to be apostles, prophets, etc. And we'll call these sometimes the people gifts because it's the person or the office that is the gift. Not all gifts are like that. Some of them only happen occasionally, like healings. Um, Apostles, prophets, teachers are people. Miracles aren't people. He does say miracle workers in verse 29, but he doesn't say healers. He says gifts of healings, helps, administrations. And once more, there's just a great variety, a great deal of variety that's played out in, with how the gifts work in a church. Um, but since we want to keep this in context and get what Paul is actually trying to say, let's try to get his point. His point is this, we're different from another, and that's okay. And that's verse 29 where he says, are all apostles? The answer is obviously no. Like, we know not all our apostles. Are all prophets? Clearly, no. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Raise your hands the last time miracle. No. No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. It's a big, loud no to every question. The bit about tongues and interpreting makes the Pentecostal view that tongues are the definitive evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life very difficult to hold, by the way. Paul says, we don't all do that. Not everyone does that. Some people do. That's great. But some people don't. I wish you all did. Know what I wish more? That you made sense when you talked. That's chapter 14. We'll get there. Okay? That's, that's chapter 14. That's where Paul takes it. So he says, does everyone do the same thing? Obviously not. Okay, but God has placed each member in his body as he wills, according to his plan. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. Verse 31. Earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way, which is introducing his topic of love in chapter 13. Now, this is interesting because we, sometimes we fall into this where we think of gifts as static. There's things that we have and they don't change. You have the gift, your gift, I have this gift, that's the way it is. So just be content and stay in your lane. Uh, we think of gifts as assigned jobs and we can see Paul's questions. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? You know, 
And some people can take that even as a reminder to, to stay placed. They're like, well, that's not my gifting. That's not what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to stay over here. But then Paul says, desire the best gifts. The Holy Spirit moves as he pleases. And he is not predictable. In previous sermons, I advised you against thinking of a spiritual gift as a tool in a Swiss army knife that you can just take out whenever you please. That's not how it works. The gifts are manifestations of the Spirit of God. It is him who does the work. And he doesn't need to operate within the narrow bounds that we place him in based on what we perceive to be our gifts. You may be convinced that your gifts are helps and encouragement, but your self-diagnosis does not limit the Spirit of God who gives life to the body from gifting you with the, the gift of faith or mercy or healing when it's necessary. When Paul says desire the best gifts, the best gifts depend on what the need is in front of you. And by encouraging the Christians and us to desire the best gifts, Paul is guarding against the idea that everyone has their firmly assigned roles, so please get in your box and don't get out. Remember, that's already a problem with Corinth. Where people are assigning everyone, it's like, oh, you're, you don't have this one? Okay, you're going to be just over there. He's like, no, no, we're going to treat each other, everybody, everyone the same here. By saying, earnestly desire the best gifts, he is setting the Corinthians up to long more for the Holy Spirit, rather than being content in where they feel they are permanently placed. This is where we need to be, longing for more of the Holy Spirit. The final words in this chapter are not find yourself, figure out who you are and what you're good at, and then do that. No, it's to desire the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Well, in chapter 14, Paul says prophecy is better than tongues. So some people said, well, prophecy, that's the one. That's the best gift. But it's really not if you have an incurable disease and need healing. Like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want the gift of prophecy right then. I want the gift of healing. That would be the best gift. And the gift of healings would not be the best gift if you're with a person who's confused about biblical truths and how to understand the gospel. You're like, don't the answer to your question about the Trinity, but I feel like you've got a cold. So can I just pray for that? Like, there, you need to desire the best gifts. If you're ministering to a person who has sinned grievously and they are torn apart by the weight of their sin, or perhaps it was you that they sinned against, the gift of teaching is not what's needed in that moment. It's not time for Bible study. It's time for mercy. And mercy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not the time for you to say, well, my gift is actually administrations. So if you could fill out this form... Like, you desire the best gifts, meaning you desire to be 100% available to the Spirit of God to use you and to work through you in whatever situation he places you in. And make no mistake, he is the one who places you in situations. So we desire the best gifts, meaning the gifts most appropriate for the need. We do not cling to the gift, we cling to the giver. And in light of all of this, and we did cover a lot, our direct response must not only be analysis to try to figure out the mechanics of how this body works. Our direct response, and this is where Paul's going to take us in the next chapter, is to love well. To love well with everything we've got. It's not actually that complicated, but it is difficult. Love one another. Serve one another. And give thanks to Christ who has brought us into his body and filled us with his spirit and given us a good father who knows how to give these good gifts to his children. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love that you are caring for us. We love that you have made a way for us to have fellowship with uh, the one you call your God and our God, your Father and our Father. And, and we confess that you, Father, are a good Father who knows how to give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. And so we say, give us your Holy Spirit. 
Give us your Holy Spirit so that we can serve well, love well, love selflessly, love not caring about the praise of men in the least, but but eagerly awaiting the day when you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Bless your church with these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.